You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on January 27th, 2019. A reading from 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is our annual meeting, and one of the things that we are doing at the annual meeting today is, uh, God willing, approving our new set of bylaws. And one of the features of these bylaws is uh, something called the Membership Covenant, which we have had in some form for a lot of years, uh, but it hasn't been a part of the bylaws. And so one of the things I'd like to do over the next several weeks is kind of go through the Membership Covenant. And so today we're going to start a six-week sermon series uh, called I Am a Member. And the first week, this week, is called I Am Present and Active. All of these are going to have I Am's at the beginning of them. Uh, So it will talk about the the things that I am as a member of this church. So today is I Am Present and Active. Uh, Just before Christmas, we saw a a flyer on the bulletin board at our local library about a handbell concert. And I love handbells. I think they're a really beautiful and unique way of making music. But if you've never seen a handbell concert before, uh, let me just describe it to you. 
Each person in the handbell choir is responsible for ringing five or six bells. And each bell is a note on the, the musical staff. So if you want to play a tune, you have to use all of the different people working together to play their note at just the right time to make that tune that we're all familiar with. So maybe you're playing Christmas carols. Uh, each person has to ring their bell at just the right moment, uh, just like you would push the keys on a, on a piano. But the difference is, whereas Carl sits down at the piano and all of his fingers control all of the keys on that piano, a handbell choir works very differently. Each person is responsible for their own note, but they all have to work together to make that tune come out. Now imagine what would happen if someone were ill on the day of the concert and couldn't make it. I have no idea how they would recover from that because they've been rehearsing for months and months and months on these, on these tunes. They've been practicing working together. And so if that one person who's been responsible for the, the D sharp and the E and the, uh, the A minor, or that's a, that's a stat, and the, the A flat, whatever it is, if that person is sick, who's going to make those notes happen? How is that tune going to come out? How are people going to recognize what it is that they're trying to play? Now imagine trying to put on a handbell concert all by yourself. There's no way you could do it. You'd be running all up and down the table trying to make those bells work, and the tune just wouldn't come out because handbells are intended to be played with a team, with a whole group of people working together. In our new vision statement, one of the, the things that we talk about is finding God. We're loving our neighbors and helping them to find God. When we find God, what we mean is, is become a Christian. Accept Jesus into your life. Start walking as a disciple of Jesus. That's what it means to find God. But when we find God, it's not just me and Jesus. That's a misconception a lot of people often have, that, that my faith is, is personal, it's just between me and the Lord. And there's an aspect of that that's true. But your faith is never just me and Jesus. That's a part of it, but it's never just me and Jesus. Salvation is an individual thing, but it's also a corporate thing, something that we share together. You all probably remember Billy Graham. How many of you ever went to a Billy Graham crusade when he was alive? I did, uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, he went all over the world doing these crusades, sharing the message of Jesus, the gospel, to big stadiums full of people. And when Billy Graham spoke in a new city, he never just rolled in on an airplane and walked into the stadium and started speaking. There was a, a team in place in that city for weeks and months before that event, with all of the local churches working together to put that event on, with all of the local churches sending people to be there to pray with people in response to this message of salvation, I don't think Billy Graham was really the person that ever prayed with someone as they were accepting salvation. It was always the people down on the floor of the stadium from the local churches in that city praying with people and then inviting them to be a part of the church in all of the local congregations in Pittsburgh or in Jacksonville or wherever it was that he was speaking. Why was that? Because Billy Graham knew that salvation is not just an individual thing, it's a corporate thing. We need each other as Christians. We can't do this on our own. 
And so when we find God, we also find the church. To find God, to use St. Peter's words from the day of Pentecost, is to repent and be baptized. When When Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, it says that the people were struck to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We all are familiar with repentance. It's it's turning away from our old ways and turning to Jesus to embrace what he's offered us. But to be baptized is also a part of that. To be washed in the waters of baptism. To be adopted into God's family. Or, as it says in 1 Corinthians today, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of the same Spirit. So as Christians, when we're baptized, we are baptized into Christ. We become a part of Christ. We are united to Christ. But we're also united to Christ's fellowship on earth, the church, his body. We are baptized into his body, the church. One of the ancient images for the church is Noah's Ark. And in fact, as people looked at the architecture of churches, and I've said this before on other occasions, as people looked at the architecture of a church and they looked up at the, the ceiling, we don't have them in this church, but a lot of churches have these, uh, these structural ribs that go from the sidewalls all the way up to the top. I'm sure you've seen that before. And if you think about that, that looks very much like a ship flipped upside down. The bottom of a ship, if you, if you looked down at it from the top, has that, that sort of same shape. And so the church is like a ship flipped upside down. And in fact, the, the word for the place where the people sit in a church is nave, which comes from the Latin word navis, which means ship. And if any of you have ever been in the navy, that's the same word as well. It means ship in Latin. So the church is a ship, like Noah's Ark. And in the, the um, service of baptism, which we did for Caleb just a few weeks ago, which all of you have experienced as well, there's a prayer that was written originally by Martin Luther, and part of it goes like this. Wash and sanctify them, these candidates, through your Holy Spirit that they may be delivered from destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church. And being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope, and rooted in love, they may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you think about Noah and his family, everyone who was in the ark was saved. Everyone who was outside of the ark drowned in the waters of the flood. Everyone who was in the ark was saved. They passed through the floods unscathed. They might have been crabby towards one another. They might have not, you know, enjoyed the smells of all of those elephants and cows and other things doing what they do inside a confined space. But they were saved. They didn't drown in the waters. And when they landed on the the shore, they were able to offer sacrifice to God in thanksgiving that their lives were spared. When we are saved, we are saved with the church, corporately. When we are lifted up to heaven, we read about this the other night in our, in our Bible study on heaven, the whole church is lifted up to heaven. The whole church collectively is the bride of Christ. The whole church collectively is the body of Christ. And so we are not intended to be Christians on our own. We are intended to be Christians with one another. 
So what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? Well, for one thing, it means that your presence is important. Your presence is important. Each part of the body is essential to the whole. And when you're not here, we miss you. And we wonder where you are, and we're worried about you, and we long for you to come back and be a part of us again. In our membership covenant, the the very first point, number one, says, worship God the Father, this is what we commit to, worship God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit every Lord's Day in a church unless reasonably prevented. Now, it doesn't necessarily say this church, although if you're in town, I hope it's this church, but it says worship the Lord in a church, a church, every day unless reasonably prevented. And so that means if you are away on a business trip, if you're away on vacation, you can still find a local church to go worship in because that's where Christians belong on a Sunday morning if they're able to be there. It also says reasonably prevented. So what does reasonable prevention look like? Well, for one thing, it would be if you're sick or homebound. If you're at home throwing up with the flu, I really would prefer it if you stayed home. That is a reasonable reason to stay home and not be at church. I don't, I don't want your flu. Nobody else here wants your flu. It's okay to stay home when you're throwing up, okay? Uh, or some people are homebound, and we have a number of members in this church who are very faithful members, but they just can't make it to church because of their health for one reason or another, and that's okay. Or when you're traveling, although, like I said before, you can still go visit another church. When I'm not here, I am almost always going and and visiting another church. There are a number of Sundays that I've had a a Sunday off from here, and what I've been doing is going and visiting our brother and sister churches around Jacksonville and getting to know some of our Anglican family in this area. Or when we go on vacation, we usually try and find a church to go to, if we're able to, so that we can experience the body of Christ in another place. And I learn from these other churches, and some of the things that I learn I bring back and try and put into practice here. And some people work on Sundays, and that's okay too. I think it's, it's better not to. If you're able to, to not work on Sunday, that's a great thing. But some people are reasonably prevented from attending church because they have to work on Sunday. And that's one of the reasons we have a Wednesday night Eucharist. A number of the people who come to Wednesday night Eucharist are not able to be here with us on Sunday mornings. And so for them, Wednesday night is church, and that's okay too. I think Sunday morning's the best. If you can make it here on Sunday morning, come here. If you can't, Try and go visit another church or come here on Wednesday night. And if you're sick, go ahead and stay home. That's what reasonable prevention looks like. Why? Because you need the church, and the church needs you. You need the church, and the church needs you. In our passage from Corinthians again today, it says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What does that mean for us? Some people think that they can go it on their own, but this is a mistake. You need the church. We all need the church. We can't be Christians all by ourselves sitting on our couches at home. We just can't do it to all of its fullness. Proverbs 27 says very famously this. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, 
and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I don't know if in your kitchen you have a honing steel. I do in my kitchen. But a honing steel is, is what you always see in the movies uh, as the, the, usually the father of the house is getting ready to carve that turkey on Thanksgiving, and he's going like this with the knife. The thing that he's using is not another knife. It's a honing steel. It's another piece of metal. And the purpose of that is to align all the molecules on that blade in just the right, right way so that that knife is as sharp as it can be so that it can slice off those yummy pieces of turkey. That's what a honing steel does. And that's what this image has in mind because it's the same thing with iron and iron. They knew this when they were writing the Proverbs. That's why they wrote it in the Proverbs. You can sharpen iron by rubbing it against another piece of iron. And so if you have a blade and another blade, you can sharpen them against each other by rubbing them over and over in the right way against one another. Iron sharpens iron. And then it goes on to say, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. One woman sharpens another. We sharpen each other in the church. It's one of the reasons we need each other. If our salvation and sanctification had only to do with head knowledge, knowing the right things, believing the right things about Jesus, then you could probably fill your head with all of the knowledge that you need by simply listening to and watching sermons online and reading Christian books and reading the study notes in your Bible. If that's what discipleship was, you could probably do that at home sitting on your couch by yourself. But it's not. Salvation is much more than that. It's about a changed life, a transformed life. And we can't do that sitting by ourselves on our own without others. We need the church. We need to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron with other people in the church. Study is a part of discipleship, but it's not the only part of discipleship. And even study is aided by studying with others. And that's why we have classes and Bible studies every week. We have at least three different opportunities for you to come and participate in studying God's word with other Christians, having conversation with other Christians, so that you can be sharpened as iron sharpens iron. We also need to grow in our holiness in human relationships. And to do that, you need to have some human relationships. You can't grow in your human relationships if you don't have any. And so one of the things that we do in the church is have relationships with one another. And sometimes those relationships cause conflict. Sometimes those relationships expose our own selfishness. Sometimes those relationships expose our, our sinful patterns of communication. Sometimes those relationships cause all kinds of issues in our lives. And wouldn't it be easier if we just didn't have any of that? Wouldn't it be easier to just stay home and then we couldn't get bogged down in that stuff? But here's the thing. Those conflicts expose the sinful patterns in our own hearts and help us to grow in holiness. And so even though those human relationships are sometimes difficult, we still need those difficulties to help us grow. Things don't usually grow without some amount of turmoil. If you've ever utilized a gym, you know that they say, no pain, no gain. Now you can take that too far, of course. You can injure yourself. But to gain in muscle mass, to gain uh, in losing your weight, not gain your weight, but you know what I mean. The point is, it takes some effort and it takes some muscle soreness 
to allow your body to adapt, and it's in that muscle soreness, you actually slightly damage your muscles, which causes them to grow stronger as they repair. And so we need a little bit of that conflict and turmoil in our human relationships, which we can find in the church, to grow. Now, sometimes we see that conflict and we bolt, and we'll talk about that in another sermon in this series. What we need to do is persist. When we have that conflict, we need to come back together and persist in those relationships and grow in holiness together as iron sharpens iron. One of our values, we're not just going to talk about the membership covenant, we're also going to talk about the vision and values in this sermon series. One of our values, we have eight of them, is community. And here's what we say about that value. It says, the church is the body of Christ, and God desires for us to develop deep relationships for fellowship, support, accountability, and mission. The church is the body of Christ, and God desires for us to develop deep relationships for fellowship, support, accountability, and mission. Those are four important things that we can't do on our own, that we need each other to accomplish. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, which we also read this morning, is a beautiful picture of what this support looks like. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is what it looks like to be the body of Christ together. When one of us is suffering, all of us are suffering. When one of us is suffering, all of us come together in support. When one of us is rejoicing, all of us come together in support of that rejoicing. We do those things together. We sit with people as they mourn. We provide them food when they're sick. We celebrate with them when they have a new baby or when they take a new job or when they retire. We do these things together. We have joy together and we have sorrow together and we support one another through all of it. So you need the church, but the church also needs you. One of the interesting things about the way Paul presents this image of the body is that he presents it from one perspective and then he presents it from another perspective. And so the first thing we heard is that I can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. But then in the next paragraph, he phrases it, or in actually the paragraph before, he phrases it in just a little bit different of a way. In 12.15, he says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Some people think that they're unimportant or unworthy, and that the church would be better off without them. This is, this is very untrue. Because the church needs you, each one of you, to participate. When we think about that same proverb, once again, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, you need to be sharpened in human relationships, but we need you to sharpen us. It goes both ways. And so if you're not here, we're missing out on some of the sharpening that we need just as much as you need. We also need your talents and your time to keep this church moving forward in our vision. 
Remember that handbell choir with each person ringing the bell that's assigned to them. If someone is missing for the G and the F and the E, the tune can't be played. God designed us to work together as a body. We're a team. God has given each one of us unique and individual gifts. And each of us needs to contribute those gifts for the good of the whole. Membership Covenant Point 6 says that I commit to discern and develop my spiritual gifts and actively participate in the ministries of the church, serving with my time and my talent. In many of his letters, Paul visits various spiritual gifts that have been given to believers. He lists them. And those lists don't always line up. And I don't think if, even if you, you counted up all the 20-some gifts that he, he lists, that that would be an exhaustive list. The Holy Spirit pours out gifts and talents upon us, and he intends for us to use them in ministry, in the context of the whole. So, in our passage today, verses 27 and 28, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. But then he goes on to ask, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the answer is no. Not everyone does every one of those things. But I firmly believe that within the context of a body of believers, God has present all the gifts necessary to accomplish what he's called that group to do. I firmly believe that in this church, in Good Samaritan Anglican Church, God has provided through each one of you all of the gifts that we need to accomplish the mission he's called us to. But we need your presence to make that happen. These gifts aren't intended to be kept to ourselves. They're intended to be used among us in the context of the body. Just as our bodies are made up of many parts and they all have to work together to accomplish the things that we do as individuals. So do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Have your gifts changed over the years? Part of our vision as a church is to discern and develop these gifts together. And so it's my intention to offer a spiritual gifts workshop at least once a year so that we can check in on what our gifts are and find ministries that we can use to plug in and use those gifts in the context of the body. So our theme for today is, I am present and active. What does that look like? My goal for you would be that you would be present every Sunday, if you're able. That you would participate in one of our regular discipleship ministries, whether it's our Bible studies and classes, or I would love to see some home groups develop where people uh, study the Bible and have fellowship and community in each other's homes. I think that would be wonderful. I'd love to see that happen. And third, I'd like you to identify something in the church to take on as your ministry, as your way of serving, something that you can own, something that you can move forward in and identify as your ministry, your thing that you do for the church. But to do this, you may have to make some choices. We all need to choose what to prioritize in a busy world. For me, regular participation in the church is an eternal investment, and it needs to be one of the highest things on my list of priorities. 
It's something I don't want to miss out on. And you might say, well, Father Chris, you work here. You have to be here. And that's true. But it's important enough that I bring my family with me because I want my children to be prioritizing this as well. And so we've made choices to limit some of the activities that we do and some of the other things that we could be doing to make sure that we have the flexibility and the availability to participate in the ministries of the church, to be an active part of the body. And that's my hope for you too. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Each day we live, we are one day closer to the return of our Lord. And each day we need to be living in expectation of his return. And to do that, we need to be prepared. But here's the thing, you can't prepare on your own. You can't do this Christian life on your own. You don't have to do this Christian life on your own. You need us. And we need you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you that you have not left us alone to figure this out on our own for ourselves, but that you have given us one another to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the ways that you are calling us to be active in this body, that you would show us what our gifts are and how we can contribute to this body, that you would help us in our human relationships within the context of this church to grow in holiness and to grow closer to you as we encourage one another and build one another up. And we pray your blessing on this church. We ask that you would strengthen us, that you would provide for us every gift we need to accomplish what you're calling us to do, and that you would help us to draw many more people into your kingdom, loving our neighbors and helping them to find you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.